psychology. It's more than a philosophy, more than a psychology, more than just an ecology, bigger than biology, larger than anthropology, brushes against astrology. That's prophecology. Praise the Lord, our Master Prophet Ibn on Jordan, your most trusted name in prophecy. Well, Jonathan, we have a special guest today. Which special. This is, he, now he's very special. Very special. Unlike anyone that you have <laughs> ever heard or met and all of what he's been through. I am so honored to have him to grace this platform. Uh, talking about grace, he wrote a book called Witness to Witness. Grace. And you know what, Master Prophet? I remember us going up there and he was and 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 this great man he came down those steps in that three piece he was so clean and he started talking to us about this book and to actually see that it's done listen Woo. after i was at his church and he took us on a tour he was walking so quick i came back home said i got to work out because this makes some sense that and you I, did. I did. I started working out seven days a week. I said, I am not going to let Reverend Richardson <laughs> take uh, me uh. out. So let's go ahead and read his bio because this is going to be an exciting interview today. All right. W. Franklin Richardson is senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church in the city of Mount Vernon, New York, and chairman of the board at Virginia Union University, his alma mater. He also serves as chairman of the boards of the National Action Network and the Conference of National Black Churches. Richardson earned his divinity degree from Yale University Divinity School and his doctorate of ministry as a Wyatt T. Walker Fellow from United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. Mentored by Dr. Sandy Ray, a close friend of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Dr. Wyatt T. Walker, Dr. King's chief of staff, Richardson has received numerous honors and accolades. Two notable distinctions include induction into the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Board of Preachers and the International Hall of Honor by Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. He is also a recipient of the Alumni Award for Distinction in Congregational Ministry from Yale University. Dr. Richardson is married to Inez Nulia Richardson and lives in New York. All right, let's give a hand for Dr. Franklin Richardson. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, man of God, let me just open up this. We thank you for being here. But tell us, at what age did you start ministry? I'm just going to start out right there. 17 years old. 17, Bishop. Oh, my God. You were preaching as a teenager. And yeah. um, where did you start out preaching at? In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia. I preached my first sermon in 1968 on May the 27th. Community Baptist Church. 
My God, you know, I mean, you hear, you hear preachers like this talking about their trial sermon, their first sermon. <laughs> you know, today you don't hear a whole lot about trial sermons in certain circles. You know, they just pop up, up. and then they pastoring, and mm-hmm. you know, you begin to say, oh, "When was your trial?" <laughs> <laughs> but this is great. So. Um, Reverend Richardson, you wrote a book, which I am really blessed by, uh, Witness to Grace. How did you come up with that name, A Witness to Grace? And um, what I'm amazed by is that the scripture here that you have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Well, Bishop, you know, um, what, what happened three years ago, I had surgery. And it was a serious surgery, came out very successful. But it was one of those deep valley moments in my life. It was one of those places where you're in the dark and searching for the hand of God. And so I spent those days reflecting upon um, my life, and I felt very vulnerable, very vulnerable at that time. I felt uh, challenged by the physical challenges. And so I said, and I had been saying for some time, that I needed to um, slow up and, 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 and put down my current captured book. And so in those contemplative moments, I began to reflect on that possibility. I did not know how things were going to come out, but I made a resolution to myself that I would all I could to do this book. And when I began to reflect on it, the thing which became the most dominant in my reflection was that I saw we throughout all of the years of my journey the grace of God. I saw that what I had accomplished, where I had been from where I started from, was all an act of God's amazing grace. I found myself aligned with the apostle who wrote to the Corinthians, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Wow. And so uh, the, the, the title came out of that, my, a, a, pre, a preview of my journey, and it became obvious that I had come this far and had a, first, a front row seat to the grace of God. And I continued to develop that. And as I moved forward, it became obvious that what I was putting on paper was a testimony of God's favor. Wow. Let's give that a hand. That's amazing. Being in ministry now... um, Oh my goodness! I didn't lost count. It's got to be about it's about fifty years of ministry. 50, 50, 52 years. Fifty-two years of ministry. Give that some respect. Fifty-two years of ministry, John, and that was before you were born. <laughs> I mean, long time before. <laughs> See, so that can give you hope. That can give you some real hope there. There's you, hope that 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 you can stay. You keep your hand to the gospel plow. And yeah. turn not back. Yeah. And your church, and, and I know I'm jumping ahead, 
and your church is now how many members? Because when I went through your massive campus, um, I walked out of there so humble. I walked out of there humble and tired, grateful and thankful. <laughs> and I said, you know what? This a is a lot. I mean, to have this in. How long have you been in Mount Vernon? 45 years. 45 years. And how um, the church takes up just about the entire block? Yeah, yeah. And you tell us, how did that miracle of grace happen? Well, uh, I came to grace when I was 25 years old. I had pastored six years in Richmond, Virginia, and it was a very learning experience. Mm-hmm. It was coupled with my attending undergrads. And uh, I got to New York. The church uh, extended an invitation to me to become pastor, and it was a real challenging situation. The, the, the roof was leaking, the windows were busted out in the sanctuary. Church was in bad report, and the congregation had dwindled down. And so, but one of my buddies asked me, "Why did you? Why would you leave your church in Richmond and go to Mount Vernon?" And I said, "Well, I, it was. It's not the building; it's the people. I saw in people promise a desire to be great again." Because Grace Church had been a real great church during the in the, in the, in the 50s, uh, with uh, people like Ossie Davis and Ruby with them, yes, and different ones. So it was a great church, but it had dwindled down, and the survival was threatening. And so I felt the Lord wanted me there, and I I assumed that responsibility, and step by step. The Lord sent people, sent opportunities. Uh, today, it's a uh, vibrant, even in the midst of the pandemic. Yes. Uh, we, uh, we switched to totally a virtual operation where everything is done virtually. Activities all during the week, uh, Zoom and live stream and all of those things. We also feed about 500 people uh, a week. Uh, groceries, 500 And uh, we work with young people, helping them become uh, computer literate. We also have built 400 units of housing. So it's been, it's been a remarkable journey, but I have to say that in all the things I've been involved in, I've benefited from the support of the congregation. It's been a partnership. They have viewed my ministry as an extension of the ministry of the church. And so I've been able to do a lot more than Mount Vernon because of the kind of cooperation I found at the congregation. Wow. And, you know, thinking about this, um, and um, I thank God because I heard of Reverend Richardson, but after I went to Virginia Union and got my Master's of Divinity there, thank God for Dr. Um, John Kenny, who was a stand, says, you need to come on and get back. You need to go come on and get into seminary. And I says, yeah, I says, I'm, I says, I'm a busy um, person. I said, I don't know if I can get down to Virginia every week. He says, no, we got a program. 
it's almost like John Kenny was leading from the future because <laughs> his program really works now for COVID. I mean, <laughs> you know, but we were doing one week intense, intensive, intensive studies and just getting all the different professors and you get a well-rounded knowledge of the scriptures, but you get to see the scriptures through the eyes of the oppressed yes. and begin to get a feel of a theology of liberation that sets the captive free. And um, I want to ask you about your stand. What brought you into social justice? Because you've been such an activist on the front line with friends of mine like um, Reverend Al Sharpton. It was through Reverend Al Sharpton I read, met Reverend Wyatt T. Walker. Right. And then Wyatt, Reverend Wyatt T. Walker was right there in Virginia. And then, well, he moved back to Virginia, though he was here in Harlem. And then... Um, I lived on Madison Street, right across the street from Cornerstone Baptist uh, Church. Uh, I used to go to vacation Bible school over there <laughs> with Dr. Sandy Red. Red was there. Uh, and then right. down the block was Reverend Taylor Concord Baptist. Yes. Two oh, blocks yes. up. So, wow. And I didn't realize how rich Brooklyn was in terms of its theology of great liberation theo, um, theologians Absolutely. and preachers. And, um, and then, of course, Reverend Jones was there out of New York. What brought you into this whole area, Reverend Richardson, of social justice? Well, you know, my entire journey has been informed by two things. One, an attempt to respond faithfully to the gospel of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and, and see the responsibilities of ministry through that prism. Mm -hmm. The second component for developing my ministry was that I, the Lord provided for me on my journey powerful mentors who mentored me, helped me to shape my thinking, gave opportunity, open experiences, and today, I really wish that we could get our pastors, our young pastors, to understand how important it is to have a mentoring function in your preparation for ministry. Mm. And uh, so why do you, well, so again with the biblical text, but then I came to meet Y.T. Walker as a student at Virginia Union University. Wow. He came to campus. He was the uh, celebrated leader, uh, chief of staff for Martin Luther King Jr. And I was given the responsibility to go to the airport and pick him up. Wow. I took him to campus, spoke for a religious this week. We became friends. And uh, as the Lord could have it, not long, uh, well, some years after that, I, I was called to come to Grace in Mount Vernon in New York. Mm -hmm. And our friendship really grew stronger, and I was affected by his uh, theological appetite for social justice. Um, I had the privilege of partnering with him on several ventures. He and I were cohort uh, professors for a cohort at, at United Theological Seminary. All right. The Walker Richardson, Walker Richardson Fellow. And then uh, I had the privilege of traveling around the world with him, and we just became strong friends. 
deep friends. He invited me to become a member of the board of the National Action Network. He was the chairman, okay. uh, with Rep. Sharpton, the founder and president. When Dr. Walker retired after illness to Virginia, he recommended me to become chairman of the board of Virginia University, I mean, of, of, of not Virginia, of, of National Action Network. And after 15 years, I still am in that responsibility. And we've watched the National Action Network evolve into a tremendous force for good. And we watched the most evolved person uh, in, in my career is uh, Al Sharp. Yes. So we, we have been blessed, uh, and I've been blessed, uh, to be guided to all these, to understand the Bible from a perspective of liberation and empowerment, and that has informed my behavior as a pastor. So I've been in the streets, I've been in jail, I've done all those things, but it was always out of a sense of calling the ministry as a pastor. Wow. And, and we're talking to Reverend Franklin Richardson, amen, his new book, A Witness to Grace, which we're recommending everyone to get it. We're going to make sure all of our members get it. I just got to work with his publisher to make sure that every one of our members get this book. But we want you to know that this is Reverend Richardson. Now, with the social justice piece and with you in ministry as long as you've been, and I watch um, Reverend Sharpton, we've kind of, uh, we've grown up to know each other since very young adults in right. our 20s. And then I've watched his life go from where he was um, to who he is now. And it was men like yourself and men like Reverend Wyatt T. Walker and others that had a real hand in shaping. How important is a mentor to a person that is coming into ministry or doing political work or doing any work in the community? Uh, Doc, I don't, I don't understand... I can't put any value on it. I think it's, 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 it's without mentoring, uh, a young person is going into ministry without a map, without a model, and without access to experiences that come from engagement. You can't, what you get in a mentor, you cannot get in the academy. Both, Both of them are valuable. Yeah. The academy experience is critical, but the mentoring piece is, is, is also critical. And if you want to get balanced in your preparation, it's helpful to have people. You see, we don't live, none of us live long enough to experience everything we need to know. That's why we go to the academy, we get that. But we have mentors to learn from what they've been through so we don't have to go through everything. And then when we come upon situations and circumstances, we have the opportunity to benefit somebody else's experience. Like I said, every, every point in my life, I can point to escort who, who helped me get through those stages of life. My first escort was my mother who led me to Christ. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then my pastor in Philadelphia, James Edward Hamm, mm -hmm. 
and then my professor and, and president at Penn Union. Yes. And then on to uh, the teachers and, uh, and then to Sandy Fred Gray, who was a mentor to me. Uh, he, I, 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 I facilitated his book, Journey to the Jungle. I took it to Broadman Press, negotiated the term, gave power of term, and spent a lot of time together. He blessed T.J. Jimerson, president of the National African Convention, Gardner Taylor, the council, all along my developing career as general director of the National African Convention. So, I mean, just a plethora of men and women who have helped mold me uh, into the achievement God has allowed me to have. Yes. And um, to, to, to look at your work here, um, A Witness to Grace, you also was taken, um, how did you start finding yourself brushing up against the political arena? I mean, because I know a lot of times those of us in the church, well, in the Pentecostal church, you know, we've kind of been devoid of the um, political arena in some way, except for people like Reverend Bishop Herbert Dortry, who right. got involved in, in that, which brought him into social justice. How important is it for a church to have a political context and their voice in the political arena? Well, I think it's really up to how pastor interprets scripture and how one the mandate. Not all of us Christian community have a uh, or feel a mandate from the gospel to involve themselves in politics. Mm -hmm. Now, in recent days, I have been so discouraged by politics. I, I am so sick of politics. Politics has made lying ethical. Politics has made conniving uh, acceptable. And politics is, uh, is countercultural to the value of, uh, of faith. And yet we have to exist and exist and to ignore it is to our own to our own credit. Yes. Uh, because everything in American culture is political. From the light bulb in your house, how your taxes get spent and distributed and become an aid to your own empowerment, how school gets funded, uh, whether or not you go to jail or not, whether or not the penal system is just, whether or not the economy, all of those things are entangled in the political reality of America. So it's up to a pastor to interpret how far he or she wants to go in, in that direction. But for me, I've never run for a political office. Right. But I have always uh, been engaged in the, in, in the management and navigation of politics because, because I understood it and understand it to affect the quality of life for African American people. Yeah. And if I'm not going to be a politician, I ought to be helpful in making decent people politicians. Yeah. And I ought to be helpful in trying to make the world a better place. Right. And, and you say something that's very powerful because like housing, that's politics. Yeah. When you see people can't afford to pay rent or pay yeah. housing or even the food deserts that are in some of our communities where, you, you know, you're driving miles just to find letters. 
lettuce. And when we begin to start looking at this, all of this is politics, although we did not know it was politics because it seemed to be so covert. Like, you know, one of the things that we're starting, well, I am starting to discover is that a lot of the situations we're in, it has been almost like it has been designed for us to live into that until something come along to be a disruptor of that situation. And I was very touched when you talked about how you use the medical professionals in your congregation to educate the community, um, the church. What would you say about that? Well, you know, one of the things I was aware that there were, I'm very aware that there is a bias, health bias to African American. And that every measure of quality of life in the United States, black people are at the very bottom. Yeah. No matter what you talk about, uh, diabetes, mm-hmm. high blood pressure, obesity, whatever you whatever you want to talk about, black people's lives are at the bottom when it comes to health and other things as well. Yes. But so therefore, it became a concern to me that the churches uh, that uh, be, be partners in the health in the health notion because our people were suffering. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we had a grace, a quite a quite a delegation of physicians. I called them together and said to them that you need to share your expertise with our congregation on a regular basis. Today, they've been doing it for five years. I brought them and put them in the center of our worship service one Sunday a month. Wow. And, and, and I give them the, the pulpit stage to communicate the, the information pertaining to the diseases and health challenges that were particular to African-American people. And I've had people come back and say that those moments in the pulpit by the physicians has helped save their lives. Wow. So it was just, it's always about considering what you have available and putting it in juxtaposition to the needs that your people face. Wow. That's like putting together the ministry of Luke. That's like the modern-day acts of the apostle, the physician. You know, the, 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 you know, the physician, Christ as the physician in the pulpit. And, and you notice what he said, to bring them right to the place where the word of God comes from. Yes. yes. That he yes. wants them to know the word of God concerning their temple, the word of God concerning their body, the word of God concerning their health, concerning their being, because their wellness is important. But beloved, I wished above all things that thou prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Mm-hmm. But Reverend Richardson is right. Um, when we look at even this pandemic at the time we're doing this interview, COVID-19, we have the highest risk of this particular virus because of the immune system of black people. And then you have our people that are distrustful for good reasons of a system. And then recently I was reading some data where um, 
They don't give us pain meds as quick as they should wow. because they believe that black people are a lot stronger than, you know, when we say we're in pain, they believe we have higher tolerance than other cultural groups. Yeah, the whole thing about health care. And then wow. in some states, they were even having a challenge of even getting seen in the hospital when they had COVID for symptoms, they were telling them like their fever wasn't high enough or they didn't have enough symptoms, but other cultures, they were letting them in and seeing them right away. So when you begin to look at this, the, 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 the work of the church, the black church has to do something more where other cultures can just preach the gospel right. and move on. We got to preach the gospel and do the work of the gospel in the community. Am I right, um, Reverend? Well, you know you're right, Doc. Uh, the black church has to adjust to the challenges that black people face if it's going to be relevant in its ministry. And it can't just be a mirror of white church experience because their experience is totally different than the black experience. And when I say totally, I mean specifically that their, their expectation, expectation of the church, church is completely different than ours. Mm -hmm. their, their participation in the lives of their parishioners are not what ours are. They, they're participating with people who run the banks, run the corporations, provide the job, own the schools, and we some of us of a context of trying to enter, trying to break through, and the church has been part of that persistence to not be captured or, or, or destroyed. Yes, this is great. And like, I mean, and when you think about it, we're sending out this week to 400 different families, 400 boxes of food, fresh vegetables, yes. just fresh yes. vegetables. You know, you'll only hear like that in black churches. You don't. That's right. Yeah. That's because in other communities, they don't have a food desert. No. So when you think about it, we, we, our ministry, we have to do the work of Christ, feeding yes. the hungry. Isn't that what Jesus have did? To. That's Amen. Right. Um, um, multiplying, I mean, um, um, multiplying fishes and loaves. Every yes. Sunday, we have to multiply fishes and loaves from the sacred desk. Yes, sir. And this is why I can see a witness to grace. Everywhere <laughs> Reverend Richardson goes, he knows that there's no way he's supposed to be what he's doing what he's doing, having what he has, is if, if it wasn't for the grace of God. Without and question. even bringing, even upgrading um, our social justice yes. in area of media attention. Um, how important is media for us as a community, Reverend Richardson? It's never been more uh, critical to the quality of life of African-American people. And the advances in media, the, the idea that we're here today on your show, um, has made media more accessible to us. Yes. There's been a kind of democratization of, of media. The the least and the last are getting access media. Yes. And having their, having multiple channels for their expression. That's one of the great by, uh, byproducts 
of the uh, advance of technology that, that more and more we have the marginalized have access to media. Yes. And, and that's a powerful thing. It also shows up in the economy. The, 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 the less a black faith has to show up to make a purchase, the less discrimination can be executed. Because online, you don't know whether I'm black or white. Come on now. All you know is what I'm, I'm spinning. <laughs> and this may be the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King when he yes. says, I have a dream. He says, you'll not be judged by the color of your skin, but by the content of your character. Yes. And I want to upgrade that for a moment. It could be the characters on your keyboard. Yes. <laughs> you see? Go ahead, Doc. <laughs> it's the characters of your keyboard. Your ability to have language to communicate in the system, because in a minute, they're not going to know whether you're black or white. You're going to be moving through an avatar. That's right. You're moving into a new age. And the black church has been called to this now to begin to upgrade our technology through financial technology, where people say, well, I don't use a cell phone to pay my bills with. Well, now they are. So now they're learning how to give their offering. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I, I don't have a, mo a smartphone. Well, now I have to get one in order to transact in this world. And then the black preacher has got to begin to learn. And we probably need to do a conference, um, Reverend Richardson, bringing together the leaders on how to preach the gospel through the means of today's technology. Because yes, we have so much at our fingertips and it's amazing. Um, your book, is it, um, is it on, um, is it in ebook format as well? Yes, yes it, it is. is. Yes, it is. All right, so you can get it in Kindle. Amen. That is a witness to grace, a testimony of favor. And we want you to go ahead and download this book today by going no doubt to Amazon.com. You can go there and get it, or wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. And um, A Witness to Grace. And I tell you what, it's a great read. You'll get to get the journey of this man of God and how he moved forward and progressed. And thank you for putting your life in this book. Is this, um, now, how many books have you written already? This is my, my second, second book. book. This is your second book. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, my, my first book, about 30 years ago. Well, <laughs> the power of the pew. What was it called? The power of the pew. Okay. I'm going to have to find it. You got to get me a copy of that book. I will. I want to get that. I, I like something that when I was in the class with Dr. James Cone, he said some of his publishers would tell him he needs to make some corrections in his early writings. And this kind of encouraged me as an author. And I said, and, and he said that he said to them, them, he says, no. He says, I want to see, I want people to see where I came from. Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike. What'd you say? Yeah. He's agreeing. Yeah. That's, that's, that's powerful. powerful. Yeah. He said, I want to see, I want people to see where I came from to where I have come to. And yes, so sir. all of my early books, they got mistakes in it. They have, but that was my life at that moment. So I need them to see what I was like as an author 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And then how I develop as an author today. And I don't even go back and edit. I don't go back and fix. I just continue moving on, track my journey. Do me a favor. Look at my hind parts because you really can't handle my face.
Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, Doc. Dr. Richardson, what are your last words that you would like to say to the people? And how can people find you online? Well, uh, they, they can go to witness2grace.com. It's uh, our website. There, there are many uh, interviews there. There's further detail about my life. We're on uh, Facebook. We're on uh, Instagram and LinkedIn and uh they, they can, can go to gracechurchtoday.org, and there is our ministry being displayed. And I welcome their input and, and welcome their accent. All right. Well, thank you so much. We will be supporting you. And um, we want to thank you again, Dr. Franklin Richardson, for making the time to stop by and let us know about your book. We are people of the book, so we will be getting um, a bulk number of this and getting it out to our partners to read A Witness to Grace. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Prophet. God bless you. Thank you so much. And we want you to continue listening to the podcast. And we each week we have a different guest on. I, I heard a rumor, rumor, that next week they want to um, bring Jojo Simmons in. So I'm going to see. He kind of grew up here in the church. <laughs> Jojo, you know, the Reverend runs. His children was working cameras here and stuff, and they didn't know that they were behind the cameras working because one day they would be in front of the cameras. My, my, my. Isn't that just how God does? He takes, you, he takes you like a David, has you in the field tending to sheep because he's preparing you to become the shepherd of a nation because your present struggle prepares you for future achievements. Ooh. It's a, uh, grace, a uh, witness of grace. A witness of grace. And I am who I am because of the, the grace of God. Amen. All right. God bless you. Till next time. Thank you, man. To keep in touch with Master Prophet E. Bernard Jordan, go to www.bishopjordan.com and follow him on all social media platforms. To get more information about the Prophetology Conference and or more special events, go to www.zoeministries.com or call 888-831-0434. Thank you and stay blessed.